0: So part of what we have to do is just kind of whet people's appetites for what is good and true and beautiful. Like they may not know that they need more kindness in their lives, but when they experience it, then maybe they realize, oh, this is nice. You know, I want more of this.
1: Uh, well welcome to the pocket pulpit podcast my name is hector i'm your co-host and uh, today we have sarah hey, hey sarah hey. and we also have karen swallow prior with us today hello hi hey how are you
0: good how are you
1: Oh uh, doing well fine friday morning uh and now yeah uh just gonna try not to think about this flooded basement apartment here uh, to my right. So, uh, Mm. (laughs) um, but that's not, that's not what we're here for today. So yeah,
2: I'm really excited to have Karen on. Um, she's a research professor of English and Christianity and culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. She's author and speaker. She's working on a podcast that's coming out soon called Jane and Jesus, which
0: I cannot wait
2: for. Um, so we're so excited to have you with
0: us. It's great to be with you. I love the title of this podcast. I don't know that much what it's about, but Pocket <laughs> Pulpit is amazing. So I'm here for it. Thank
1: you. Awesome. Uh, so, Karen, can you, can you give us a little bit about who, who are you? You know, we talked about some of the things you're involved with and things you're doing, but who is Karen Swallow Pryor?
0: Wow, we start with the existential questions yes. right away. Yes, um, well, you've already um, named my position as a professor at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. I think um, that's sort of a, a culmination of um, years of, of of teaching English um, in the university classroom, but before that, years of just being a reader, loving books. I mean, that's probably the most defining um, aspect of my life other than being a Christian. Um, but the interesting part of my story, to me anyway, is that you know when I was growing up and just loved books and the world of the imagination, um, I didn't really see that connecting well with the life of the church. I didn't see a place in the church um, for that. And for a long time, I just thought I would have to choose between the intellectual life and the church life. Um, and it wasn't until I was in my PhD program where I, you know, kind of through a long journey, um, and it was a secular, very liberal program hostile to Christianity, but that's really where I, um, figured out how to integrate those two things and the fact that books and words and language and literature are the gift of God and a reflection of our being made in his image. And so that changed everything for me. And so, um, you know, so for for the past, um, you know, 20, almost 25 years, I've been teaching in Christian college classrooms, trying to share my love for literature. Um, And more recently out sort of there sort of in social media, trying to be an evangelist for what I see as the good life, um, Mm. which is the life of books and Jesus.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's good. Well, and, and part of the really one of the main reasons we wanted to have a, a conversation with you is because of the way we've seen you interact on social media. And so just as a, a light question, you know, we go we go very deep <laughs> and then we come right back up to the surface. But uh, just to ask, what platforms are you on and what is your preferred social media platform? Mm.
0: I um, I started out on Facebook. Um, I was actually an early adopter um, on Facebook when my students started. It was back when only co- people with an EDU email address could get on. So it was just college students. And then I guess some professors like me who got on to kind of see what the students were doing and, sh- and use it. I used it primarily then, um, and still then, although it's more complicated, as an extension of my classroom, where I could post articles and ideas and, again, just kind of spread the love that I have for um, language, literature, and the Lord. Um, So I've been on Facebook for a long, long time. Um, I used to host um, pretty engaging conversations on there. I mean, I was known for how. having people join in, it still happens, um, but having long discussions with people of diverse views and, um, and I loved that, but, you know, things have kind of changed in the past few years. So I, um, I I'm still on Facebook, still use it, but not as much. Um, I'm on Instagram. I do tend to use that just for, um, pictures. Like, I mean, it's a, it's a media, you know, I know other people use it to do other things and build their platform and be influencers or whatever, but I just want to be on it to share pictures of the beauty around me every day and books, well, pictures of, of good books. Um, so I'm there, um, but I'm probably most active on Twitter. Um, and I've been there for about 10 years and I have just, um, it was actually a student of mine, um, some years ago who told me, he said that I should get on Twitter because I would, I would just do amazing on Twitter. I'm like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> he still reminds me to this day that he's the one who got me on Twitter. And I hated it at first. I didn't understand it, but I, I've grown to really, despite all the bad things that happen on Twitter. And I'm, you know, I, I experience that a lot. It, it really is a medium that I think can be used for powerful good. And so I'm there to hopefully use it that way.
2: Yeah, my friend Aaron told me he was like, "I think that you'd do really well on Twitter." Um, and Aaron's actually the one who um, he was like, "Actually, I think there's a lot of people who are like you, or who you would connect with, or you would like vibe with, or whatever." And one of those people he he mentioned was you. And so when I came on, I was like, "Well, I'll look at I'll look at this person." <laughs> so
0: and, I and think- that wasn't very long ago. I mean, relative, that's, yeah, you're pretty new. And I know you've reflected uh, on whether <laughs> what's going on there. Yeah, yeah. I remember I have,
2: that. It hasn't even been a year for me. So oh, wow. I'm still a Twitter Twitter baby. For, so for- what, what, what do you think? I want to hear what you think in that less than year. Well, well I really like it. I really like it. Um, there are times that I think I, I will go through maybe even weeks at a time where I go to bed and I think like, night Twitter, it's been, what? what is it from, um, what does Wesley say in The Princess Bride? Or the Dread Pirate Robert says, good night, Wesley, it's been a good day. I'll most likely kill you in the morning. And I think like, good night, Twitter, it's been a good day. I'll most likely kill you in the morning. Like, <laughs> I don't know that I'm going to hang with this because um, the the emotions on Twitter and the, the passion on Twitter can get so... Yeah so big that it's like you have such a short amount of of text to work with and yet Mm -hmm. you can I mean you can use that text in a really powerful and really painful way at times Mm -hmm. and so it can be it can be exhausting so it's been a lesson in um, boundaries and balance but also Mm -hmm. you know there's there's so much to be said for clearly and succinctly communicating a message, which, you know, in other, in other forums, you don't have to do. Right. There's a craft to creating a good tweet that I just love. Like, yes. I love to, um, I love to just, to. I might think of a big picture idea and then say like, all right, if I want to communicate this, who do I want to communicate it to? And how do I want to say it in a way that it doesn't just become like wallpaper while they're scrolling? They're just like, whatever that is, keep going. But to communicate it in a way that opens conversations and starts people thinking. I mean, it's 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 like a writing challenge. It's it is. Like, it is. Like, living a writing challenge. And so I love it. I I really love it. It is exhausting at times, but I agree
1: on that. all points.
0: <laughs> um, what about think, you? Oh, go ahead. yeah. I was just going to ask if Hector's on Twitter.
1: Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Twitter's, right. yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm there. Do I we follow it. each other? I don't know, but okay, I should check right. that uh, here right. after. <laughs> I'm going to cut it and say, yes, absolutely, we follow each other. No. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's actually, so Twitter, you know, is where Sarah and I met and how, how this, that's kind of the beginning story of how this podcast even came to be and and just thinking through, um, how it can be used as a a ministry platform as well. Um, social media as a whole, but namely we were mostly seeing, uh, sharing things on Twitter. So, yeah.
0: Twitter power for the good. That's right. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Well, the first time I really remember engaging with you. So I, th- I think that I was like, because Aaron had suggested you, I was, I was watching you. And then it was like, someone had said something in response to something you had posted. And it was their response was, I would call it harsh critique. And, and they had said something to the effect, uh, the effect of like, what I, what I, what they said doesn't matter. Cause this is not real. And I, I remember saying, well, like, the words here are just as real as they are anywhere else and like the the emotions and the and the relationships here are just as real as they are anywhere else but i remember like that conversation there and and the way that you interacted to that pushback like i could see that you you're a person with a strong voice and you're a person with strong convictions but there's a lot of people on the internet who are loud and passionate uh, but there was something different about the way that you presented your, and I'm going to use the title of one of your, one of your books, fierce convictions. <laughs> um, so have you always been a person who knew where you stood and how to express your positions well, or has that been a learning process for you?
0: That's a good question. I mean, I think that I've always, uh, I have always been a person of, of fierce convictions. Um, and I don't know that I always, uh, knew I would be a public communicator or try to express them well um that was something actually that was drawn out in me from pastors in my life and leaders who um encouraged me to you know to become a leader and public do engage in public speaking and so forth and then just being a teacher I mean that you know you have I mean not that every teacher does what I do in terms of public expressing public convictions but um but part of it again goes back to that I do see sort of social media as an extension of my classroom but that also is what allows me I think to be really forbearing toward people that I think are wrong i mean i'm surrounded by people like that every day in my classroom who, who need to learn and who are wrong and and you know I, I and and they teach me things too so that's why i love the classroom so I think of social media as my classroom. And I do have strong convictions. Um, Teaching is one of my spiritual gifts. But um, prophecy is actually a stronger gift that I have. And so, you know, it's, it's, it comes from God, it's not of my choosing. And I just have to kind of try to steward it well. Mm. Um, Yeah.
1: That's good. I, uh, something that you said just really, uh, kind of piqued my interest. And, you know, one of the things that Sarah and I say often is we're not experts at the social media ministry. It's such a brand new territory, but one of the the goals of the podcast is to explore like how, how do ministers do this better? The social media mm-hmm. ministry thing. And But I heard you talk about, um, how pastors encouraged you and drew out that, to to share your voice and to share things well. As Sarah and I are both on staff at churches, we're ministers, pastors, and and leaders of of people. And so could you share maybe something um, if there is something that sticks out as far as what was it exactly that encouraged you? Like how can pastors, leaders encourage mm-hmm. their people um to not just use their voice, but to use it well.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I'll I'll answer in a few different ways. I mean, I'll I'll answer more broadly um, and kind of unpack the experience that I just mentioned. I mean, when my pastor came to me, I was probably all of like 22 years old at that time. And he said that he and some other pastors had been talking and they all thought that I would make a good spokesperson for this sort of community effort that we were doing. And I just about like, fell on the floor. I mean, I went to, this was, this was so long ago and so far away that this was a context where um, the churches I went to were tiny Baptist uh, churches where, you know, we would have Wednesday night prayer meeting where people stand up and give testimonies. I don't know if people do that anymore. I mean, most churches are, have very different models, but, and I couldn't even, like if I had stood up and gave a testimony, I would like be in tears by the end of it because I was just so nervous speaking. And so I just couldn't believe that these pastors saw this in me but I trusted them. I trusted that they saw things in me that I didn't see myself and they made opportunities for me and encouraged me. So I think that's a big part of what it means to lead well is to actually empower people who have gifts under you, uh, around you and support them in, in using those gifts for their flourishing. So that's just sort of a general thing. That was what I experienced. And I think as a, as a leader myself, in various capacities whether it's mentoring students or being in administrative positions i want to empower the people that i serve in leadership and let them use their exercise their gifts well in terms of of social media specifically i mean it is a mission field it is a mission field you know like every other and i think we need more lay people more pastors more christians Out there seeing it as a mission field, not just, and that is how I see it. Sure, you know, I get to share my articles and read other people's articles. I'm a reader. I love to see what the latest uh, post is, um, you know, that's come out. That's it. I don't, you know, I, that's where I go for so much of my news now, and it serves me well. But the main reason I don't leave that medium is because it is a mission field. And my area of expertise is the early modern period, which is the period in English literature, which is my specialty, that where we saw the rise of what's called print culture, the printing press, and all that they printed at first, like pamphlets and newspapers and journals, and then later novels, and That period of time in history was very, very similar to this period of time. It was churches and as well as politicians and preachers um, who were using the printing press to spread their ideas um, and you know to battle it out in some some ways um, through competing publications um, in order to spread what they believe to be the truth. And now in the digital age, we have the same opportunity. So it's not just about getting ourselves out there but it's about ministering to people serving them pointing them to the truth and and showing modeling the way that we can be not just good christians but even good human beings in this contentious polarized kind of world and i think pastors need to be out there doing that there are pastors who are out there on twitter who aren't doing that lots of them we need more pastors who are modeling this well And also pastors, and I'm sorry, I'm going on so long. This is a good question. We also need past pastors need to be out there with their flocks on Twitter, holding them accountable, you know, because Twitter can be kind of like a a wild west where anything goes and there is no accountability. Well, I want my pastor out there keeping an eye on me and sending me a note or a text if I'm off you know, off, off target or yeah. out of control or something. Cause we, that can happen to all of us and it's happened to me. So I want that kind of accountability.
2: I think yeah. that is a, um, I mean, I see that. And I think about like Hector and I have talked about what is, um, what is an online pastor? Hmm. Um, because that's a role that's getting created ne- now, or people are are online pastors now. And it's like, is it just content creation or is it discipleship through social media? And like, my hope would be that that we would start seeing these online pastors be people who are discipling and guiding their flock in this area because our right. our congregations live their lives with one foot on on a physical ground and one foot in this mm-hmm. digital ground. That's right. And, and it's like half of their body is invisible mm. to their pastors because they're not looking at them online.
0: I, I just had this idea I've never had before. So can I share it? Absolutely. I mean, we have youth pastors, we have children's ministers, we have women's pastors, you know, overseeing different, you know, communities within the church. Churches should think about hiring, you know, in, within a local church body, not separate, but a, a, pa- a digital media or online pastor who is, who is pastoring, ministering to the people in their congregation as they are going out online. Yeah, say it louder yes. for the people in the back. I mean, <laughs> maybe th- maybe this isn't a new idea, but it just, ca- it just occurred to me as you were speaking. I don't yeah. I don't know if it's a new idea or an old idea. <laughs> yeah. It's a good idea. idea you know yeah.
2: that is that yeah. is our hope for sure. Yeah.
1: I think it's definitely a, a it is a an evolving role, right? And as we as we come to understand what social media is, what digital online spaces are. Uh, kind of as a a culture as a society Mm -hmm. learning what those spaces are even used for that it's not just about you know posting stuff but there is interaction and engagement that's happening uh, that it it opens that up as to what type of mission field because I think ultimately it's always been a mission field because it's where people are Mm -hmm. but it's evolved as to what type in the strategies and the the way that someone would go about, you know, and the results that you want, you know, cause if it's just about, well, we just want someone to give truth, great. But if it is also this idea as you're speaking of like, even not necessarily having to be the external and, and seeing it as outreach and evangelism, but really seeing again, as we've we been talking about the discipleship of our people
0: mm-hmm. in that
1: space, uh, just as we would disciple them how to act in the workplace and in the gym and in the playground uh, right. with their kids, right? And so, yeah.
2: Yeah. Where um, where you talked about uh, the printing press is, and that's part of where our, our, sh- our show's title name is from, is that, you know, the printing press put the scriptures in the hands of the everyman, you know, mm-hmm. and Social media has put the pulpit in the hands of the everyman mm. in everybody's mm. pocket. They have one. And so in in that era, in the era of social media, where everybody has a pulpit in their pocket, we say, you know, we need to be intentional in how we disciple people to use that. So our hope is that people will listen to you and and um, learn about how to communicate a strong message well in a way that is, um, that honors, honors God and who he calls you to be. And does not, um, does not back down from a strongly held conviction, but does not use that strongly held conviction to flatten someone. Right. I think about when I was in high school, I went to England and, um, with my cousin and the, the couple that we stayed with took us to Hyde Park. And um, I'm telling this as I recall it, and I was a teenager. So if I get some details wrong, you know, we'll just chalk it up to I was 17 at the time. However, on I think it's Sunday afternoons, people will go to this corner in Hyde Park and stand on like literal soap boxes and just give a message of whatever is on their mind. And we, my cousin and I stood in front of this woman who was in this, bright yellow dress and um, just, she was just very pinched in appearance and she had her Bible and she was going for it. And she did not appreciate that my cousin and I were in shorts and let us know. And I took this picture of her. I just snapped it when I came, you know, it was a disposable camera. So I didn't know how that was gonna turn out, but I brought it home and develop the picture. And there she is with the Bible clutched in her hand that she was shaking at us and it's upside down. And she just looks so mad. And I remembered thinking like, God, keep me from ever, ever standing and using the Bible in that way. And, and using your word that way and letting, you know, I just remember feeling like I I'm a Christian standing in front of this woman who is trying to tell me the gospel that she thinks I don't have because I'm wearing shorts. You know, don't ever let me be that. And so I think part of what keeps when I observe you that makes your your social media be a pulpit as opposed to a soapbox like that where somebody would use it to just cram a message down someone's throat is maybe that your pulpit is as much a podium, like you're a teacher through and through. And so I can get online and I will see well-known Pastors or well-known Christian influencers just drop these huge bombs, and then they walk away, and people retweet and quote tweet and um, share, or um, and then they they get in fights with each other underneath it, and the person who dropped that bomb says nothing. They they've just they've just exploded this mess. And people are just playing in the shrapnel of what they've said. And so I see you offer statements or an article, and then you do what a good teacher does. You engage with people who don't know the material yet or who are trying to wrap their heads around new information. And so you talked a little bit about it, but can you talk a little more about how being a teacher, trained and gifted, um, changes how you engage with people online? Mm -hmm
0: sure i just want to let some of what you said sink in because i've made the same observations but you put it so so well that is what so many people do is they drop bombs and then walk away and even if they didn't mean to drop a bomb maybe it's just something that they posted and it just garnered controversy that they weren't expecting or misunderstandings those things are common but so many of the you know bigger names with lots of followers yes i can i can sort of understand that You know, I don't think Stephen King has to engage with everyone (laughs) on his Twitter feed. Um, You know, the ones who have a million followers. But if you're a Christian and a pastor and an influencer, um, I do think that there is a Christian and moral and ethical obligation, I think personally, to engage at least some. Now, I engage a lot. That's the teacher in me. Um, But that's what I'm there on Twitter for. And I get that some other people aren't there for that. But for me, as I'm thinking of stewardship of my time and my gifts, and I do think about that a lot, because it takes, it takes a tremendous amount of time and energy, um, you know, and to engage on Twitter, and it can be exhausting, as you said earlier, but I would rather, you know, I would rather post something and engage multiple times. Once a day, then, or just as an example, or then post multiple things a day and, you know, all day long and, and never engage. I mean, for me, I, I, the engagement is, is part of it. And uh, the other thing that is important Um, is to realize, especially the more followers you have, and I do have a lot of followers, is that when you're engaging with one person, a hundred or a thousand more are watching. And so that's where the teacher in me comes out, is that I, I, one way, is that I, I realize that Just as in a classroom interaction, if one student asks a question, all the other students are learning too. And and if they watch me observe, you know, kind of respond and change my mind and think about what the point the student has said, that's instructive as well. So there's more going on than just responding to one person. People are watching what you do when you're confronted, what you do when you're questioned, what you do when someone points out that you said something wrong or poorly and how, how you react to that. Um, and, and, and they, and they, res- they watch how you respond to the malicious attacks too, which, you know, I ignore most of those, but there are times when I want people to know, you know, I want them to see, well, this is how you can respond to an attack as an unfair attack as well. Um, so it's all teaching all the engagement. It's not just that person, but it's also teaching me. I mean, we all, I, constantly learn about how I should have said something better, how I should have posted something better, how I should have responded to someone better. Um, I'm a teacher because I love learning. And so I learn so much by engaging on Twitter. And I I just think that there is more potential there, as we've already talked about, and also more moral responsibility than I think a lot of people see. And teaching is a huge moral responsibility. Um, So I take that seriously.
1: Yeah. One, one difference between I, I, I'm, this is, I'm no, not a teacher. I'm only, you know, only teaching I've done is in ministry experience. Right. And so, but the, the difference I would maybe think that there is, is the, between teaching in a class in person and then presenting information online is, and you've talked about a little bit, is the amount and the way that people push back. Mm-hmm. That it's usually loud, and it can often be you know very harsh and sometimes vulgar um in and and, and and with purpose to either discredit or to um discourage mm-hmm. uh the person the original poster right and so I think one of the things we've noticed is at least in the way you've posted. That there doesn't seem to be what what should naturally i I would assume come is the the desire temptation to often just push back or to even use it as a place to ridicule back um, or to be hardened by these interactions and so I guess my question really is how do you do it you know because I would assume from my i don't know twelve hundred sixteen hundred followers. Most of them one don't see what I post, but two, don't don't see what I post as necessarily controversial and aren't screaming back. And as you were saying with your followers and, and the sizable difference in that, like, how do you do it? How do you how do you stay engaged and, and kind and in that teachable and learning and also with the aim, as you just said, to teach others as you're engaging.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's maybe it's harder than it looks. Um, and I've had to grow and mature in that area. I mean, I love sarcasm and I love snark and um, I've used a lot of it on Twitter um, that. I've had to change that just because as my own role has changed. I mean, when I was just a lowly English professor at a large university that everyone loved to, to mock and deride, I could be snarky, you know, as snarky as I wanted to be. Um, Now, you know, I'm in a a seminary people, I'm I'm more public. um, And if I get snarky or sarcastic towards say a pastor in my denomination, who's paying my salary um, that's not, wise or good or kind or or anything. And so some of my own natural personality that, you know, I love the snark and sarcasm, I've had to, I've had to grow out of or or channel more more constructively. I still, you know, if you watch me closely, it still comes up. <laughs> um but the rest, you know, I think um I think part of it is that I have I have confidence in the areas in which I have authority. Um, and of course, that has, you know, is primarily my academic expertise and literature, but also cultural criticism. It doesn't mean I'm wrong, but again, because my posture is always, you know, here, this is what I think, and I think it pretty strongly, but I'm excited to hear what other people think because I want to learn and grow. Part of that, that's what it means to be an academic. Even if you go to an academic conference and you have a panel, everyone on the panel is presenting a paper, or if you're just the only presenter, you're supposed to get feedback, questions, critique, and that's what you're there for because that we all understand that makes us sharper. So part of it is just that, you know, that training and that, that academic context that we don't take those things personally. In fact, we, we consider an honor to be engaged with, um, even if it's something critical. So Mm -hmm. it's a whole mindset. I think that's part of it. Um, and then I, you know, I've taken lessons from, other examples. I mean, there's a famous exchange that took place a few years ago with the comedian Sarah Silverman, who is no, you know, um, paragon of 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 goodness and virtue, I guess, from what I know about her. But she was called some vile names on the internet um, by someone. And she just went out of her way to respond with kindness, and got to know this person and found out that he's like, a vet who's wounded and you know physically and mentally and didn't have money to to, for the medical needs that he had and she helped him and they got to know one another as people and that's the other thing to remember is that those are real people on the internet and so we need to remember to respond to them as such um and at the end of the day even though they are people Um, They aren't the most important people in my life, the most important of of, I could count a dozen of the most important people in my life. And I don't think one of them is on Twitter. Mm. Um, I I also
2: I thought while you were talking about um, the pushback is I know people who have strong convictions um, and who would express themselves well. But they are afraid of that pushback, particularly, and I wish, you know, we had, we talked with Heather Thompson Day, and she says that several times people have printed off all of her tweets and mailed them to where she works, to her her bosses or whatever. And I wish I thought to ask her, like, and I know that you get strong pushback and that it it comes in your work inbox, I think. And
0: how do you... My, and my bosses, they've been asked to fire me more times than I can count, so...
2: So if you have, what would you say to someone who has, who has something to say, but is just afraid of that kind of when the pushback leaves the digital space and impacts your daily life?
0: Hmm. I mean, I would say, um, that someone has to count the cost and the risk. And I don't think everyone is called to that. Um, I, I think I am. And, um, you know, I, I do sometimes think back, fondly and wistfully about my life before the internet when you know I could just curl up with a book all day and not be disturbed and and um it was you know I'm really glad I came of age and had many years before social media was out there and and so I you know if if, I don't think anyone should um really disrupt or interfere or upset their their personal life and their family and if and you know the care for their children and their dogs that they have to do. I mean, those are the most important things and, and um, not, at, at, we all have different personalities. And so I think, I don't, I don't think everyone's called to it, but if one is called to it and is just kind of hesitant or fearful, I think it might be helpful to know that just like anything, any other kind of exercise or habit or practice, we get better at it. And and, and I'm saying we get better at ignoring and not feeling the pain. I mean, I when I was first viciously attacked um, by a group of pastors and others, um, about six years ago, and I, I never this, I never knew people like this existed, or, you know, that they would lie and slander and write, hundreds of blog pieces about me like I just that was a whole that was it was it was like mentally and physically traumatic um I had you know I I got um um a a TJM the you know the the whatever it's called with your, your, you know, um, jaw kind of locks up and sick and, and it was very emotionally traumatic and spiritually traumatic. Um, but my, one of my close friends here in person was talking about that recently. And she's like, she goes, you've grown so much since then. She goes, I, she said, I remember how hard that was on you now. And and now you just take the, like, it doesn't even matter to you. You don't even care. It's just, you know, you just move on. And I was like, yeah, I guess I have grown in that area. You get stronger. So one of the, one of the things that,
2: that I try to do, I mean, I, I have, I have had things impact my offline life from what I posted online. And I, I have set some boundaries that I didn't have in before. So setting good boundaries helps me, Mm -hmm. but also like, um, I try to be, it is, it is a goal of my life to be, I want to be identified as someone who is kind. Um, it has, it is, I have been accused of being nice lately, which is never an accusation I thought would be um, dealt my way Um, because I have most of my life been, you know, loud or um, assertive or um, I'm trying to think of the nice ways to say what people (laughs) have called me, but nobody, nobody was really complaining that I was too nice. And for me, it's like, well, Nice isn't kind the way that happiness isn't joy. Nice isn't kind. Kind is wise. Right. Is, um, I mean, it's, it's, to me it's strength and control. Yes. Yes. That's what I'm going for. And I would rather be kind and have people receive what I say and change course. Mm. I would have a post go viral because outrage fuels the algorithm, but outrage really changes people. And over the course of my lifetime, i've seen society reward and encourage those kind of mic drop messages like when i was younger they would say well she really tells it like it is or they say what everyone just thinks or um and or she speaks her truth or you know um and it in the church people might say well you have a prophetic voice and i believe that people have prophetic voices but um I also hear people like she's an Enneagram eight, or they're a Gryffindor. You know, they'll come up with some reason that this is this is okay that this person's mm-hmm. beat harshly, um, but it's becoming increasingly evident that, like, undeniably clear that um, these outrage fueled mic drop moments are harmful both to the people making them, to the yes. people seeing them, and to our society as a whole. So while nice guys might finish last at uh, kindness and rational, like unemotional clarity of message matters.
0: Um, so you feel that's true too. Uh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> it, it, we're going to change the world one person at a time, right? Not one, you know, mic drop that gets spread virally at a time all that does is harden people polarize divide that doesn't really change people it just reinforces what they already believe and so if we really want to bring about change it has to be done in this slow familiar kind wise truthful way and that's that's hard it's not dramatic it's Mm -hmm. not sexy it's it's just the work that i think we're called to
1: so what do you think like what is it going to take for people and then specifically Christians with these strong voices and these big passions, which I I don't want to, again, right, not be polarizing and say that it's either all, all good or all bad. Mm -hmm. And so there's somewhere in the middle, these strong opinions, voices, passions, how to, to use the tool that is social media, um, that is the internet and have it in a way that both not just effects change, but it doesn't damage the church or our society in that process. I think one
0: thing I, you know, that's a big question. I don't know. I have (laughs) all the answers, but I think one thing that occurs to me is um, that I think that we have, you know, we have um, malformed appetites in our culture. So part of the work is to change people's appetites. Like some, you know, we are made in God's image. And so um we were made to long for him and desire him but there're so many ways that those desires and appetites can get disordered or fed by unhealthy things so part of what we have to do is just kind of wet people's appetites for what is good and true and beautiful like they may not know that they need more kindness in their lives but when they experience it then maybe they realize oh this is nice you know i want more of this and so for me personally, um, you know, I'm I'm intentional about some of the relationships that I cultivate and keep, um, or accept online with people and and those are some of my favorite things people that I disagree with who are you know super liberal progressives who hate almost everything I stand for or people who are way more conservative fundamentalists and they hate everything I stand for but if there's some sort of personal connection and a and a response to kindness in either direction then that's something that I work hard to hold on to because and other people can see that they can see that you know two people who are wildly divergent on, on, on the issues have something else in common. That is the ability to, to ask questions, to have a conversation. Um, And so I think that's part of the work of cultivating appetites for the right things, because, you know, if, if, if the world, you know, if, if, you know, we all need to eat. And if all we know is junk food, just to kind of use a metaphor, and we don't even know what good healthy food is, then, then we have to introduce people to it. And, and, I mean, and develop, help them develop an appetite for it. And I think we're out, I think that's where we are in, in the spiritual realm as well, that people are accepting all these cheap substitutes for Um, for spiritual fulfillment and we have to kind of let them know no there's something better and truer and healthier for all of us and um, introduce them to those things and social media is a place where we it's hard because social media is designed to do the exact opposite so we have to like really disrupt the system and that's what I'm out there for most days
2: (laughs) (laughs) well um, that moves us to our next question, if you say most days. Um, <laughs> so we always ask, um, for, for a kind of a failure story. Like mm. can you tell us a time about, a, that you did not respond well to a critic or someone in the process of learning. And what did you learn from that?
1: Hmm.
0: Um, let me think. I started, my mind started to go in a different direction. Um, when I did not respond well to, um, a critic. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, well, can I just, well, this is sort of, this is a little bit different, but it's the first thing that came to to mind is that I did, um, I did send out a very poorly worded tweet regarding, um, last year regarding COVID and the pro-life movement. I mean, I'm pro-life which also means being cautious about COVID to me. Um, and I sent out a tweet, um, you know, sort of criticizing the pro-life view, um, for not being more concerned about COVID. And, um, and the mistake that I made was, yeah, it wasn't worded that well, but then it, um, it got picked up by a really right-wing, um, news outlet and with a really, uh, Dramatic headline that didn't really quite get at what I was saying, and so I took, you know, so that's when all the letters to my boss came and phone calls and and whatnot, um, and I get, I mean, so this wasn't, I mean, so I I was criticized. I this is the thing that I've learned about. I've been too critical of people that I disagree with in ways that are um, that don't help, that only just again contribute to the polarization. Uh, because I because well just because I have these strong convictions and this prophetic voice and so forth, but sometimes it can just end up plowing people under. And um that doesn't help change anything. So um so just learning how to you know, I, I again um just that as my platform gets bigger. I realize that I have to be more careful in how I say and what I say, because if it's going to get picked up by some headline writing place, then, you know, it's not just me tweeting out to my friends. Um, And I know that wasn't really an answer to your question, but it's probably the biggest lesson that I've learned in the past year or so about the destructive power of an ill-conceived tweet, I guess.
1: Yeah. 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 I think that's, that's exactly what we're looking for. But so on the opposite end, <clears throat> excuse me. On the opposite end, we, we really don't ever want to go out with failure. You know, we really want <laughs> to give our listeners hope and and really as we're looking at exploring social media ministry, just encouraging people that this is possible. Mm-hmm. And so can you tell us a time where you, you actually did these things well and it made a difference, or a person came back and told you they were changed, uh, or their viewpoint was changed as a result of the mm-hmm. interaction.
0: Yeah, there was, this is going back a few years, I sent out a tweet that was, um, you know, again, kind of pointed uh, about discussions in the church, um, particularly regarding race, and, um, and I got some pushback from uh, someone that I, you know, I'm connected with loosely in real life. And, um, you know, it was, it was gentle pushback, it was disagreement. And that was fine, I'm used to it. And a month later, that person sent me a direct message. And said, I've been thinking about this for a month. And you were right. And it wasn't a bit, it wasn't that I wanted to be right, uh, I, although I do, you know, <laughs> uh, and I believed what I said was right. Um, but it was that, you know, she was thinking about it for a month, which in digital age is, you know, is like a century, right? Yeah. And so I and I've gotten other messages like that. That's the one that just sticks out to me. Um, people, you know, they're most people out there, not all, but most are thoughtful and they're thinking as as I am trying to think things through. And we can over time slowly um help one another see things differently and enlarge people's perspectives. Um and people do change their minds. I mean, so we should never give up on them or ourselves.
1: Mm. God, that's so good. Well I have just enjoyed uh just again the exploration right the the journey of of kind of looking at this from a different perspective and um and I'll say kind of looking at it from a a larger perspective not just the the interaction and how we post but rather what are other people going to see Mm -hmm. as they look in right um which I, I think is something that personally I think I'm aware of but it's not necessarily that I'm always actively thinking about in the, you know, what I'm posting. Um, So that was just, yeah, I just really enjoyed this conversation.
0: As have I, thank you for having it.
2: Really appreciate your coming on.
0: Well, I'm honored to be on and, and and encouraged by the work that I've learned that you're both doing on this podcast and um, in your ministries.
1: Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for for joining us on The Pocket Pulpit. And thank you, Karen, for for being with us today. And Sarah, as always, is just great to to be involved in these conversations and just to continue to see what God has, has built and is building in the middle of all the the thing that is social media and, and just that world. And so um, I hope you guys have a great week. Thanks for joining us. And we'll see you next time.